Why, hello there, my young sword Padawan master. That's contradictory <laughs> statements. Welcome to Avatar, <laughs> the podcast. I'm Booster Greg, and as always, I'm joined by the incredibly talented and wonderful and charismatic Acorn Bandit. Aww. Aww. Thanks. Thanks for that introduction. Also, I had a moment where you said why, and I thought we were going to start the episode with like a huge existential question. <laughs> no, there's there's <laughs> already imposter syndrome riddled throughout this episode. So we're not going <laughs> to go into an existential crisis for this one, I feel. Good. Bullet dodged. Or should yes. I say sword blade dodged? Ooh, good use of the high ground. It is the high ground. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. That's right. If you're keeping up and if you've read the title of the episode, you'll know we're talking about book three, episode four, Sokka's Master, or as we like to call it, the sword in the space stone. That's right. And before we dive right in swinging for the episode, let's just take a moment and read three more five star reviews that came in through Apple Podcasts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now I know this next review, this individual has been looking forward to us reading for quite some time. This one comes from Nintendo Jammer, and they write Uncle Iroh approved podcast. And then a little, it looks like a little T emoji, I think, on my computer. So that's really cool. <laughs> I love this podcast so much. It dives right into the splashy, rocky, and toasty bits of the series showing how great and wonderful Avatar The Last Airbender is. I was suggested this show by a friend, and I've loved it ever since and can't wait for The Firebending Masters, Ember Island Players, and The Guru. Again, we're a little late on this one. This one came in on March when these episodes hadn't really hit yet. So <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the coverage. Thank you so much for leaving a five-star review. And I guess you're welcome for at least The Guru. So that's really cool. Oh, I, yeah. I should I should mention too. They did leave three emojis at the end, and it's again the T emoji, the smiley face, and the heart eyes. It looks like. Oh, and that was really nice. Thank you so much for writing in Nintendo Jammer. We appreciate it. Leaving the review. Thank you so much. Yeah. Our next review comes from Kate. Kate writes, "My favorite podcast. Hi, Acorn and Greg." Just wanted to remind you guys how thankful we all are that you take the time out of your busy schedule to give us all the good Avatar content. Though I will say I got really choked up during Tales and Appa's Lost Days. And it has like a little frowny cry face. You and me both, Kate. You and me both. <laughs> you, me, and everyone yeah. both. <laughs> all of us. All of us. Really looking forward to the end of book two and the beginning of book three. My next favorite episode in the lineup is The Headband. Well, we covered it. Yeah. You're welcome. The headband welcome. is now out for your listening pleasure. Kate signs it. Flamio Hotman. Kate. I, I love. So I'm very apologetic, I think. And, and I'm we're we're both sorry that we take we took so long to read some of these. But I like when someone's like, I'm looking forward to the headband. And I'm like, it's out. You're welcome. Hey. Hey, for Because for me, it seems like only two weeks ago. But for Kate, right. it was three months Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Much more. Oh, man. We can blame our uh, spring break slash summer vacation in between episode yes. seasons. Yes. Our journey to the Ember Islands. We'll, we'll just blame it on that. Yeah. The final review that we are reading for this episode comes from... Oh, I love these ones. 
Oscar Lopez one five two five three five. I love reading the the numbers <laughs> at the end. It makes it makes me happy. Oscar writes, amazing podcast. Dear Acorn and Greg, this podcast has been really great. I discovered it right around when you released your episode on bitter work, so I've had to play some catch up. But that makes it even more fun because I can binge it. Top five favorite characters: Iro, Piandao, Sokka, May, Zuko. Keep up the amazing work. Well, if you like Piandao, you're gonna love oh this gosh. episode. Yeah, it's almost like Let's hop over views. It's almost like we planned this. Almost like we planned it this way. We didn't, but it almost <laughs> is like we did. <laughs> we can take credit we for can, it. Yeah, well, yeah, we did. Wink. I'm winking right now. We we did that on purpose. Wink. <laughs> Again, Nintendo Jammer, Kate, Oscar, thank you so much for writing in. It really does mean a lot that you leave a five star review. Even when these reviews came in, we were kind of at that point where we're like, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break, I think, from reading them on the show. So it means a lot that you would take the time to write in, even without the promise of getting it on the show. And that goes for everyone as well who left a five star review. Yeah. I check it, no lie. I think I've said this before. I check it several times a day and was like, refresh, refresh. I know it only really updates once a day, but that doesn't yeah. stop me because I want to see more and more and more and more. And it literally, makes Acorn and I's day when that comes yes. in. So thank you so much. If you've already left a five-star review and are looking for other ways to contribute to the conversation or support the podcast, where you can always yell from the mountaintops about Avatar the Podcast, you can also go over to youtube.com slash Avatar the Podcast and follow or subscribe to us over there where we upload all of the episodes that we have with nice little graphics and things like that. That is also where the Avatar episodes go after they air live over at twitch.tv slash the geek generation. And that's the last Friday of every month where that episode mm -hmm. has. So we only have the one episode so far, but we have number two in the works and it's coming up real soon. It's going to be yeah. next week by the time you hear this. So yep. it's going to be next exciting. Friday. So exciting. And you can always go over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast as well. If you want to get some of the exclusive bonus content that is coming out this month. So exciting. Including secret podcast. Secret podcast. Secret podcast. <laughs> Patreon content. Exclusive to Patreon. We need to <laughs> nail down these lyrics for sure. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Without further ado, let's go right into the episode here. Let's do it. This episode was written by Tim Hedrick and was directed by Giancarlo Volpe. The episode begins with Team Avatar admiring a meteor shower in the dead of night. Sokka goes through a mini existential crisis. Ah, we're doing it anyways. <laughs> there, there it is. There it There's is. our crisis. While Toph casually mentions, eh, you've seen nothing once. You've seen it a thousand times. Wonderful quote. I actually love the fact that she's lying on the rock next to her friends, kick back, arms behind her head as if she's enjoying the view too. But she reminds us that, nope, as usual, she cannot see this thing that the rest of her friends are talking about. Yeah, but like there's also this like internal calm about... Exactly. Like Sokka's going through this whole thing and Toph's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm fine. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. So I really like life that. Life is life. That duality right there. Me too. Suddenly, a meteor flies directly overhead and crashes a few miles away, give or take, give or take a few miles. The gang jumps into action when they see that the point of impact has caught on fire and there's a chance a nearby town 
can be in some real trouble. I don't know if you can call it a goof per se, but a meteor that size would actually decimate a couple mile radius upon impact. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's this like nice, neat little crater that's like on fire by the time they get there. No, it'd be like decimation. Yeah. It'd be like nuclear (laughs) fallout, but you know, it's okay. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. The group of friends rush towards the fire and devise a plan. Katara will bend water from a nearby creek. Toph and Aang will make a trench to stop the fire from getting any closer. And Sokka, well, Sokka will just keep an eye on Momo. Sokka is not happy with his newly appointed duty of lemur sitting. But Momo appreciates it. That's true. When Sokka's even like, I hope you appreciate this, bud. He's like, yeah. The benders rush into action to douse the fire. And Sokka does his best to help. But he finds himself only getting in the way. Katara uses her water bending to collect a massive amount of water and ride Appa over the fire, dispersing the water. Toph uses her bending to not only create a trench, but also smother the fire at the same time. And Sokka, well, all he can really do is sit nearby and watch. Sokka, stand clear! Aang yells to the water tribe warrior as Katara passes him the Appa-sized water bubble. Right, stand clear. Got it, Sokka says as he slowly gets up and slouches away. But not fast <laughs> enough as Sokka is swept away by the combination air and water blast that Aang directs at the Inferno behind his friend. We got to keep with tradition. Sokka yep. has to get wet when his friends at Waterbend. It's I, a rule. I feel like that hasn't happened in a while. I feel like. I had the same feeling. Yeah. But thinking back, I can't put my finger on all the moments where they've used waterbending with yeah. him around. I, I stopped keeping track just because it's gotten... Yeah. The tone of the show has gotten more serious, so I've stopped looking for those kind of things. I think when we do the book three recap, when we yes. rewatch the entire season, I'll pay closer attention. And from now on as well. The blast is successful and turns to snow as Aang congratulates everyone on a job well done. Sokka pops out of a nearby pile of snow and is none too happy. This I kept on going back and forth on if it was snow or ash. I landed on snow. Mm-hmm. But I had the same could have gone thought. either way because Ash usually has a little grayer tint than a bluer tint. And this was definitely a more bluer thing kind of going. But I also don't quite know how water being pushed by air hitting fire turns to snow. Yeah, I interpreted it as being because of their elevation. They yeah. are kind of up in like the hills. Oh, that's mountains. true. That's true. And if Aang used a cold air bending breath. With the ball of water, I imagine it would turn into some sort of snowflake. Or even the water, you know, from the blast got pushed up more into the sky and got colder and therefore froze. Yeah, and And then fell back down as snow. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. I want to talk about the way that Sokka's non-bending ability is being presented here because it's actually a reversal of the way we've seen it portrayed in the past. As an example, in The Chase, he was able to fight Mei and Tai Lee alongside Katara and Aang and really hold his own. You know, he comes in and he saves his sister with his boomerang, makes that quippy remark like, I seem to manage (laughs) and all of that. He's actually been able to keep up with his friends to date along their journey. So this tonal shift towards Mm -hmm. Sokka feeling out of place, him feeling like he isn't part of the group, he's missing out on inability that his friends have in dealing with a crisis. This is new stuff, but I actually like the placement of it because if you think about 
the development and the growth the team has had Yeah, where his friends used to be benders that kind of messed around and threw balls of water and water tentacles and this and that around and like air blasts. This is actually now pretty advanced bending. We're seeing, like you said, opposite water bubbles. Yeah. Slabs of earth getting yeah. like huge. Yeah. Huge slabs of earth getting flipped across a burning field. Yeah. And of course, Aang has always been really great at airbending, but now it kind of feels like his boomerang and his club can't quite keep up with the proficiency level that his friends are at with their bending. So I actually think this is good timing for us to address Sokka's masterless skill set and give him a chance to kind of get a leg up in his own way. No, I totally agree. I remember the first time I watched this whole series all the way through right before this episode hit, I was kind of like, I feel like Sokka's getting outclassed. And then the next episode was, was this Sokka's master. And it's like, yeah, see, I knew it. He's definitely getting outclassed and he needs something. And I remember thinking like, maybe he'll get bending. Maybe he'll discover he's a bender. And then I was like, I thought about it a little bit into this episode. I was like, I would rather he just stay a non-bender because this series is about like being an individual and not like conforming to what society is kind of dictating as with, you know, Aang is not bending pun intended. You're welcome. First pun of the episode <laughs> to fire Lord Ozai's will or demands like he's going up against them to, you know, for their greater good. So I think it would go against a lot of the, the larger themes of the show of Sokka's like, oh, yeah, I can water bend now. Yeah. So I'm glad that they came to this kind of conclusion of making him just as important and not as powerful, but having it be OK. Yeah. Yeah. People of all kinds have value. They don't have to be benders to be worth anything in a crisis or be able to be treated a certain way in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Elsewhere in the Fire Nation, I say with a big smile on my face, because this is one of the big things I remembered from my first watch when I was going into this. Yeah. We rejoin. And I say it with a big smile on my face, a mentally defeated Iroh. <laughs> as weird as that is to say, with a smile on my face. Well, we should say, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, mentally, mentally defeated. Yes, yes. Yes. And as far as we know, at this point, he is because the last time we saw Iroh was that big argument with Zuko mm-hmm. where he didn't even speak a word. Yeah. In the jail cell. Yes, exactly. Warden Poon. I hope that's how you say his name, because I feel weird it, saying that. <laughs> In my notes, all I wrote was Warden Poon. No background, <laughs> no information, because there really isn't There's any. Nothing. He's just a warden of this prison tower. Yes. But I just love the name. I had to make a note. Yep. Yeah. So Warden Poon walks in with a bowl of rice and drops it within reach of Iroh, who pounces on the food and shovels it into his mouth as quickly as he can. Look at you, Warden Poon says in disgust. You're just a fat, disgusting old man. You do nothing. You say nothing. You just eat and roll around in your own filth like a pig. You're a disgrace. The warden spits on the pile of rice and storms out of the cell. As soon as the door slams shut, Iroh brushes back a few strands of his hair and smirks. He sits upright and begins to eat his meal in a more collected manner with a smile on his face. Yes. Iroh, the mastermind. It's so He's, good. He is so smart. He really oh my is. God. 
it's so convincing. And we're just going to see, I'm having this gushing reaction because of the rest of the episode and all the other ways that he's able to mislead or deceive Warden Poon. But like, just God, props to Iroh. He has no lines in this episode, I don't think. And yet his presence and his development in this episode is just so exciting. He has no lines, but he does a lot of grunting. And all of that grunting was done exclusively by Greg Baldwin. Oh, okay. Good to know. Yeah, there, this is. So I guess technically this is the first fully Iro voice acted by Greg Baldwin episode. Because before this, he was just filling in as right. needed for certain lines. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, we if you go back and listen to book two, we caught a couple of them, we think, but there's no mm-hmm. official record of that, that, at least that I've seen. But from now on, we are unfortunately out of the Mako years and into the Greg Baldwin. As much as I love yeah. Greg Baldwin, it's just very sad. But Warden Poon is voiced by Wayne Duvall, who has been in such live action series like CSI New York, Law and Order, Law and Order SVU, and NYPD Blue, and many, oh. many more. Yeah. He generally plays, I think, the same kind of character, which is... I'm noticing a trend Warden there. Poon, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he pl- just plays that, mostly. Wardens, cops, detectives, yeah. cops. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the prison, actually, and where he is a warden, I think we touched on this in the last episode, but this is the Capital City Prison, Mm -hmm. also known as Prison Tower. It is a large fortified stone tower located in the Fire Nation inside the hollow volcanic crater I mentioned, which is where the Capital City is basically built. Mm -hmm. It was where highly prioritized criminals were kept. And It's actually a really formidable structure. You only kind of catch glimpses of it when the scene sets up the prison and we see where we're going and then we go inside. We don't really see much about it. I was actually reading that the structure and the way that it's laid out, there are jail cells, but there's also like inner cells where they don't keep the doors locked. It's built in a way that the wardens and the guards can walk through freely without being accosted or assaulted by the prisoners because the prisoners are kept away, Mm. but they're not necessarily kept in individual jail cells that are like locked with a key, for instance. We can kind of see that in the scenes with Iroh, how he's blocked off, but it's this like entrance chamber almost. It it felt very Hannibal Lecter-esque. Yeah, exactly. At the end of Signs of the Lambs where they just have them in a cell in a cell, which is very interesting. So I I don't know if like, I had this thought where that was done kind of on purpose so he can't really influence too many of the other inmates or whoever else mm-hmm. is in there. They're, everyone's just separated. They can't talk to each other. That's it. Not that Iroh would do, as we're seeing with this facade that he's building up, but they're not taking any chances. They're locking him in a cell that's in a cell and they wish they could throw away the key at this point. <laughs> yeah. And it's also appropriate that he's here because he is also a highly prized and prioritized criminal. Yes. Yeah. He's right now, as we've seen with Warden Poon, he is like, the scum of the scum right now. That's what everyone kind of used Iroh as. He's a traitor. Mm-hmm. So he helped the Avatar Definitely. escape. He cost his bro- his own brother, his own flesh and blood, the victory that he demands. Mm-hmm. If you're a Fire Nation apologist or Fire, Fire Nation Army apologist, <laughs> I should say. Right. Yeah. Heavy crime. Yes. Yes. So yes. So Warden Poon throws the rice, right? Iroh eats it up. Warden spits on it, goes away. Iroh enjoys his meal. Team Avatar, however, is enjoying their own meal as they talk about how they missed the praise and recognition they used to get before they went undercover. 
Boo-hoo, poor heroes, Sokka says mockingly. When he's asked what his problem is, he reminds the group that they can all do this cool bending stuff and fly around, and he really can't do any of that. Katara tells her brother that nobody can read a map like Sokka, and Toph chimes in that she can't read at all. Now, again, if anyone forgot that Toph was blind, it's a nice little gentle nudge. Aang <laughs> adds that Sokka keeps them all laughing with his sarcasm and then attempts to tell a joke about Katara's hair, but that sends her for a loop. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh. Good one. Or without the loops, some might say it fell a little flat or there wasn't <laughs> enough body to that joke. Oh, wow. You're welcome. You're all was welcome. That, was that three back-to-back hair puns? That was three. Because the loop wow. with the loops, but she didn't have the loops. And I was like, ah, it's not really good. It's not applicable anymore. And then it was mm-hmm. like flat, but her hair's not flat. It's got a lot of body to it. And then there you go. That was my there thought you process. You're all welcome. Wow. Wow. I love and, that and journey, again, that pun journey. As we've discussed on the last episode, I believe it was, that joke is now 46% funnier because I explained it. Yes. You're welcome. Yes. I don't know if that was the percentage, but yes. It changes from joke to joke. It does. Yeah. I think it was 62%, but you know, it's fine. Well, you know, there's maybe too much ex- explanation. So I lost the extra percentage. <laughs> uh-huh. Am I making uh-huh. this up as I go along? I'll never tell. Sokka appreciates the <laughs> effort, but he can't shake the feeling that while his friends are all amazing benders, there's nothing special about him specifically. He's just the guy in the group who's regular. Katara takes a seat next to her brother and tells him that the group doesn't see him that way. Besides, she knows what will cheer him up. Shopping! <laughs> I've said this before. I love the fact that Sokka loves shopping. He loves, he loves shopping. accessorizing. Yeah. He loves feeling good and getting some new things. Mm-hmm. I love that quality about him. Before we hop into the shop that they go to, I want to point out that this town is called Shujing, and it's located on one of the eastern islands of the Fire Nation. So I imagine that after the Painted Lady episode, they were already on the edges of the Fire Nation in bands of outer islands. And so they're just kind of continuing along that route. Shujing is situated on a cliff that houses a system of waterfalls, which we will see later. It is also one of the many small peaceful settlements tucked away throughout the Fire Islands. Due to its secluded location and natural surroundings, it made the perfect location for P and Dao to pursue his artistic interests. Nice. Yeah. And by the way, I want to put this quick note out there. We talked about in the beginning of the episode, a thing called imposter syndrome. And uh, mm. that's something that I feel specifically content creators, but not exclusively content creators, kind of go through where you have this feeling of like not being enough or not being good enough or worthy of the friends you have or the recognition you get or, or anything like that. Slightly personal note that I get this from time to time. I got this this past week when I was watching this episode and it just like hit a nerve for me. I was like, oh, Sokka, I know. I know, buddy. I wanted to give him a hug. Yeah. I want to give him such a hug because he's just like so like downtrodden and depressed and he's like he can't even really like his jokes are still on point don't get me wrong but like he just like is not quite himself and we haven't seen him this way since after ua so a whole mm-hmm. book ago so it was, was really that yeah it was it was really like for me it was a very moving kind of episode in him you know as we see get a master and pursue something to better himself in his own eyes was really cool. Yeah. 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 Imposter syndrome is such a great thing to talk about because I think 
as our society progresses and more and more we use social media and we present this like perfected version of ourselves to the internet, it's easier to feel like you're the odd man out. You're the one who isn't where everyone else is. And if you do set out to do something, you're not worthy of doing that thing because you're not, I don't know, smart enough or capable enough or you're not a master at it. You haven't perfected the craft yet. So who are you to talk about this thing? But actually everyone's in the same spot. And the weird thing about imposter syndrome is it's not real. It's just a perception of reality. I recently came across this book that's sort of on this topic. It's called Show Your Work by Austin Kleon. Cleon, Cleon, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's a book about the creative process and how you don't have to be an authority in something to set out. You know, all you have to do is show your work along the way. And that's something that resonates with people. If you are setting out to learn something or to start a hobby or a craft and you bring people along on the journey by showing your work, that's the thing that matters. You don't have to be perfect at it right out the gate. Yeah, you get better as you go. If this sounds like something you go through, you didn't know the name for it, there you go. And just know that you're not alone. Everyone goes through it. Yeah. Anyways, let's talk about something a little more upbeat. Like shopping. Or can we talk about sea slugs? I, Are sea slugs upbeat? Sea slug? Wait, oh, that's what they're eating. Sea isn't slugs? It? Sea that's slugs. what they're eating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Smoked sea slugs. Uh, Sounds delicious, right? Uh, yes. Can you tell by my groaning? I can tell by your groaning that you think it's delicious and you yeah. for dinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a thought. I'm curious to know if Aang sees sea slug as meat, if it would be vegetarian friendly or not. That's a good call out. I don't know. I don't know either, but it is what they were having for lunch. And I read that smoked sea slug is a typical Fire Nation dish favored among the commoners. However, it is also served to the middle class and even the royalty and aristocracy of the Fire Nation. The upper class particularly savors dining on the tentacles of the sea slug, which is the only part of the animal that can be consumed raw. Mm. And this is a fun little factoid from the lost lore of Avatar from the old website that got taken down years and years ago. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Nutritious. Tastes just like Nutritious. Nutritious. I can't. Okay. Let's talk about weapons. Let's talk about shopping for weapons. Let's go shopping. Let's go shopping. Team Avatar walk into a weapon shop and Sokka tries out the nunchucks to reinvigorate his battling. Uh, Something that's really cool about the nunchucks is this may not be a direct connection, but I ended up watching the commentary from Mike and Brian and they had Sifu Kisu on the episode. And there were mm-hmm. many personal anecdotes. And one of them was uh, when uh, Sifu Kisu gave Brian some nunchucks and he was excited. Like Brian was like, oh, I get nunchucks. This is going to be great. And Sifu Kisu was like, no, you're not focused. You have to focus when you use this or you're going to get bonked on the head. And guess mm-hmm. what happened? He got bonked he on got the bonked. head. <laughs> and it was a bad bonk, he said. Oh, no. Yeah. So that actually kind of happened to Sokka, too, which I thought was a really cool kind of uh, mirroring of that of that real life example i bet they incorporated that story for that reason yeah yeah oh yeah and meanwhile ang dons the most metal dragon armor we have seen in the series <laughs> yet it is absolutely bonkers a fun fact about this armor the design elements in it are everything that mike and brian hate in design elements for armor <laughs> yes i read that story too yeah. it's 
it sounds pretty ridiculous. And I do feel for them because the whole story behind the armor is they were going through this process with the official toy line Mm -hmm. for Avatar. And they kept getting these requests for putting Aang in all these different kinds of armor that's just inappropriate for his character or the story. So to kind of like blow off steam, they decided to come up with the most ostentatious armor they could possibly come up with. They invited everyone in the studio to add elements to it. And this is basically what they came up with. Yeah. And so and it's way too big for him and he can't move. Yep. Uh, It's so (laughs) funny because so he he shows it off to Katara. And he's like, yeah, all I need is a windsword uh, to complete this outfit, which is like what I think a lightsaber equivalent would be for yeah. Avatar Last Airbender. That's the vibe I got off of it. Totally. And then Katara's like, I don't even know what that is. And he kind of tries to demonstrate it. And then he just tips over. Yes. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but it's not like a sudden tip. It's just like a no, 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 no. And then he's on the ground. Yes. Oh, yep. man, it was so good. Uh, Sokka continues the reinvigoration process and tries out several more weapons, but none of them seem quite right for the young warrior. That is, until he sees an ornate sword hanging on the wall. He rushes over to admire it up close and is practically drooling over the craftsmanship. You have a good eye, the shopkeeper says as he walks to the group. That's an original from Pian Dao, the greatest sword master and sword maker in Fire Nation history. He lives in the big castle up the road from here. Then it hits Aang. This is exactly what Sokka has needed all along. Not a sword, but a master. The group confirms that without their own respective masters, they would never be where they are now. Katara, we all remember, had Master Paku. And Toph, as... I don't remember if we learned this from officially canon-wise from when we first met Toph, but she had the badger moles. And she says they can't talk, but they were great teachers. Yeah, we did. It was a flashback. Okay. Sokka admits that it would be nice to have a master sword fighter and agrees. He will go talk to Pian Dao. Yay. Yay. Oh, did you? Okay. Did you notice something familiar about the shopkeeper? Uh, no. Why? Take another look at him. He's like, he's like Iroh's little brother. Oh my God. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> shopkeeper. Oh my God. He is. Right. He has like a similar build, similar beard, coloring of his hair. He's like if Master Paku and Iroh had a, like, I don't know, a kid of some kind somehow. Melded. You're melded. Yeah. They like fused <laughs> together. That's what he looks uh-huh. like. Oh, man. It is. He's also a little soft spoken. He, and he has a friendly attitude, which reminded yeah. me of Iroh, too. Yeah. Fair. Not a Paku, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. Paku not is a Paku. neither of those things. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Absolutely fair. Back at the jail cell, speaking of Iroh, we see mm-hmm. him laying down on the floor and staring at the ceiling. Suddenly, his eyes widen as he bursts into a series of sit-ups, grunting with each one completed. I love this like sequence. Yeah. I, I love this from zero to 60 mentality that Iroh yes. has, where he doesn't have a lot of time. He's doing all of this without anyone noticing. So he's meditating, it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then he's really waiting for the coast to be clear. And then he does a series of exercises, like high intensity, as fast as he can go, get the heart rate going. And then he has to stop at a moment's notice, Mm -hmm. which can't be good for his muscles. I'm not much into exercising, but I feel like that can't be great at his age. At his age, who knows? I've also, I had a similar thought, you know, prison conditions are not that great. Food, not that great. You need proper like nutrition and exercises to be able to get in shape and to get fit. But maybe Iroh, in his infinite wisdom, knows exactly how to do it. Yeah. 
He's smart enough. He figured it out. He knows how to do it. Maybe this is how, because he was this like great and mighty general we, we all remember. And we mm-hmm. first met him when he's retired. So maybe this is how he got in shape in the first time. He knows exactly what he's doing. We don't know. Does it mean that when he was the dragon of the West, he was built? Yes. He was like yes. a, a beast. He was absolute beast mode. <laughs> Absolutely. Jacked. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we rejoin Sokka as he approaches Piandao's castle. Sokka knocks respectfully twice, but when nobody answers, he begins to flail on both knockers until Fat, Piandao's butler, opens the door to the front gate. This seems to startle Sokka, but in a frantic burst, he regains his composure and tells the butler that he is here to train with the master. I gotta say, I love the disgruntled butler trope. It's so good. It's really great. It's a good one. It's so good. You should know the master turns almost everyone away, Fat tells Sokka as he holds his hand out. What did you bring him to prove your worth? Sokka feels around and pats his clothes looking for something of worth to offer, but comes up empty-handed. The butler shakes his head and leads Sokka into the castle. He should have given a knot, you know, like uh, tied, tied a little Southern Water Tribe warrior knot and handed over just like he did in the library. But he probably doesn't have anything like that. Oh, you should always have scraps of rope in your pockets. I don't think he does, though. I think he keeps like, I think the scrap of rope was like, very strategic to, for him to keep going into the library because you never know when you're going to need rope, but he's going to train as, with a sword master. She's like, I don't need anything. I'm just going to go train. And it's new Fire Nation clothes. So oh, yeah, maybe his true. rope collection got left behind with his water tribe clothes. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yep. <laughs> also, if you think about it, Katara's master didn't ask for anything in, as like a gift or anything. So he probably just assumed like, yeah, you just have to walk in and say, I want to train with you and you're good to go. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I can see there being a difference. Um, Piandao is almost like a private tutor yeah. versus Paku, who is like a community teacher. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, the butler, whose name is Fat, by the way, is voiced by Chris Butler, who is in Designated Survivor, The Good Wife, True Blood, Torchwood, and Rizzolian Isles. Oh, wow. He's in what quite a, a lot of live what a action combo. things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's like, I looked at his IMDb profile. And I think I know him from The Good Wife, but he has one of those faces where it's just like that guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, before we continue, I want to talk about this castle. Okay. Because they did actually call it a castle and I found it very interesting. And I don't know what it is about this episode, this location, these characters. There was a lot of lost lore that I found. So huh. buckle up. We're going yeah. to get some fun factoids. His castle used to belong to a Fire Nation nobleman. It sat unused and in disrepair for many years until Piandao took it over. It is, as we saw in the establishing shot, on a high cliff overlooking the town of Shujing, kind of set apart from everything else. It is huge. It boasts 16 bedrooms, two gardens, a sword-making foundry, and stables. Hmm. I always, every time I've seen this episode, I always have the same knee-jerk reaction. And I don't like that Piandao has a castle. I always want him to be like Zhang Zhang. Living in a hut. Like in a hut, <laughs> disgruntled. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like you you first look at him and you know he's absolutely a, a master of his craft because of how disheveled and unkempt everything around him is, including himself. Mm-hmm. But he's not. Pandao is the exact opposite. Yeah. I think the distinction is because they're they're very similar in a lot of ways, which we will cover. Yeah. I think the distinction is Piandao is a bit more cultured. Yep. I imagine that he comes from a wealthier background. He has 
different values and appreciates things like the arts and philosophy. And similar to monks living in monasteries in the mountaintops, I think he chose this location to be able to focus on nature around him and his artistic pursuits. Yeah. P.N. Dow, by the way, I know we haven't officially seen him yet, but he is based off of or the avatar equivalent of their own Brikes or Mike and Brian's own Sifu Kisu. Their own mentor? Yep. So they mentioned that quite a bit in the in the commentary that I watched. But Sokka and Fat enter a large room with red carpeting and tall windows that display the beauty of the valley beyond the castle. Pian Dao himself is practicing calligraphy and steadying his right arm with the left. Sokka introduced himself and that he wishes to be instructed in the way of the sword. Pian Dao notes that Sokka is an unusual name. And Sokka quickly notes that his name is quite common in the colonies, which is where he's from. Yep, definitely the colonies and not <coughs> the water tribe. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Like, yep, nope, it's normal where I'm from. That's so weird. Uh, Okay, anyways. I love how the colonies is just their answer for everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're colonists. We're from the colonies. Oh, we're fresh in town from the colonies. Well, it's like interesting, too, because like I feel like the upper class Fire Nation citizens don't want to like mingle with the colonies. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, OK, you just go over there. You, you you're dirty. The Earth Kingdom and all that. You just go over there. And they don't they don't really know what yeah. the colonies are like or who yeah. lives there or what daily life is like. So they're just like, oh, OK, weird. Yeah. Another the country. Sure. Whatever. Let me guess, you've come hundreds of miles from your little village where you're the best swordsman in town and you think you deserve to learn from the master, Piandao says, without looking up from his brush strokes. Sokka begins to tell Piandao that he's been all over the world, to which the swordmaster smugly replies, yep, here we go. <laughs> Sokka catches the swordmaster a bit off guard, however, when he admits that the only thing he knows for sure is that there is still a lot to learn. You're not doing a very good job of selling yourself, Pian Dao tells Sokka as he turns his head slightly. I know, Sokka admits. Your butler told me that when I met you, I have to prove my worth. But the truth is, I don't know if I'm worthy. Pian Dao smiles and puts down his brush. He then reaches for his sword and tells the young warrior that they will see how worthy he is. Pian Dao will train Sokka after all. Yay! Applause! Fireworks! Yes! yes. Dao, by the way, is voiced by none other than the amazingly talented and infamous, in my opinion, Robert Patrick. I don't even have to look up IMDb for this one. Robert Patrick plays the T-1000 in the Terminator 2 T2 Judgment Day movie. He also played Agent Doggett in the X-Files, uh, mm. which was kind of David Duchovny's replacement when he left the series for a little bit. Uh, he's also been in True Blood. His brother is none other than Filter frontman Richard Patrick. So if you know the band oh. Filter, his brother is the lead singer of that. Interesting. Which is kind of funny because if you look at the lead singer, he just looks like a rock star version of his brother. <laughs> Appropriate. Pretty funny. The whole episode when I was listening to P.N. Dow, I was wondering if it was the same voice actor who did the boulder, but maybe it's just the delivery. Yeah. When I was watching this episode, I don't remember Robert Patrick being in this, like it being Piandao at all. It's such a big role, especially for Sokka lovers. And his accent is so specific. Like he tries to put on mm -hmm. like a, a rich upper class, like civilized cultured accent. And that's not usually the characters that he gets. He usually gets kind of more salt of the earth kind of characters. So I was yeah. like, this feels a little like off in terms of the dynamic. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, and now that's all I can hear is Robert Patrick. Mm -hmm. It's pretty That's funny. That's so funny. Yeah. 
Well, now that we've officially met P and Dow, yes. I would love to go into some more Lost Lore. Please do. Some background for our new favorite sword master. Yes. Not only does he become the master of Sokka in sword fighting, he was also the master for Zuko. Zuko learned his broadswords from P and Dao. A little bit about his background, he was actually born to two firebenders, both of whom were considered prodigies in their bending art. A shame that their only son was not a bender. His parents left him on the doorsteps of an orphanage. Growing up, Piandao was a nervous and agitated child, but showed interest in the arts and enjoyed painting and calligraphy, which helped him relax and focus his mind. At the age of 10, Piandao attended a Fire Nation boys camp where his natural talent with the sword was recognized. He furthered his studies in the army where he developed a vicious and fearsome sword fighting style. Piandao fought many battles for the Fire Nation and won them all. He was even believed to have once fought a battle against 100 Fire Nation soldiers and won. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> one on 100. Jeez. After several years of fighting, Piandao lost his taste for war and sought to become a more enlightened person. He felt increasingly conflicted about the Fire Nation's role in the Hundred Year War. And so he deserted the army and traveled the world for many years, studying under a variety of benders, warriors, and artisans. So basically, he became a military deserter like Zhang Zhang and She. However, unlike those other two who were outspoken against the Fire Nation's cause and the war, Pian Dao left the military mostly because he grew tired of war and wanted to turn to enlightenment. And because he was such an accomplished fighter and upstanding individual in the military, he was ultimately left alone. Yeah, that was something they mentioned in the commentary. It was um, Sifu Kisi brought it up, actually, where it's a pretty common theme where you have these like big soldiers, generals, like fighters, whatever, in wartime that end up retiring and taking up an art. So like mm-hmm. in Pian Dao's example, he ended up taking up calligraphy because it's just more soothing and it kind of calms his soul. And, and, you know, he could still apply the skills he knows to that subject, to that art. Yeah. And that's that's from history, too. The samurai were known to write poetry. Yeah. It's very common for warrior activities to be related to things like the arts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a reason why people do art, right? It's not usually for the praise or, or you know, the, <laughs> right. the, all that that comes with it, but it's to soothe your soul. Mm-hmm. And it takes discipline yeah. and focus. Yep. Something I want to bring up. We try to leave all of the emails to Avatar now, but there's one question that came up very specifically from Benny, who wrote in not too long ago. And Benny had this interesting thought that I wanted to bring up to you. Ooh, okay. They wonder if Piandao trained the leader of the Ganjin tribe from the Great Divide, because they're very similar fighting styles with the sword. Oh, interesting. I responded to Benny. Uh, I said, maybe, but we'll never know because there's never any reference to the Great Divide ever again in this series. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I would say probably not canonically. Yeah. But there is a connection because Sifu Kisu is the tie between the two. That's true. That's true. So whatever moves or styles Sifu Kisu provided for inspiration for The Great Divide, he probably also provided for Pian Dao and episodes like this one. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't wrap my head around Pian Dao teaching the leader of a tribe any craft based on like, especially after the end of this episode, we know like what the criteria is that he looks for to train someone now. 
Yeah, exactly. Like that leader was pretty rude. I don't think he would be able to get past the butler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Absolutely fair. So Pian Dao agrees to train Sokka. Amazing. Lesson number one is to recognize that the sword is an extension of oneself. You must think of it as another part of your body, Pian Dao tells his new pupil as he demonstrates this form. Like a second head, Sokka exclaims. Well, more like an extra long, really sharp arm. The master corrects the student. The sword is a simple tool, but in the hands of a master, it becomes the most versatile of weapons. And just as the imagination is limitless, so too are the possibilities of the sword. Sokka nods his head with an excited look on his face, ready to learn all of the lessons that Master Piandao has to offer. Meanwhile, I have to say it in this voice. Meanwhile, back at Camp Avatar, I don't know why every time that like I see this, that voice comes to mind. The gang, minus Sokka, of course, are staring at the sky, wondering what to do with their day. Toph is tapped out. She's already picked her toes twice. And in case anyone is wondering, the first time is for hygiene, but the second time is just for the sweet picking sensation. (laughs) Oh, Toph. The group comes to the realization that without Sokka and his schedule, they aren't sure what they should be doing. I do want to take a quick note, quick moment to note that Sokka was all about the schedule until it came to himself. Uh-huh. I know. And all of a sudden. <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, we can kill time in this schedule. In this town schedule. Over here. It's yeah. nothing. I thought about that. I wonder if they spent so much time in the painted ladies' village that he just threw the schedule out the window and was like, we'll get there when we get there. We'll make it happen. Or they combined mealtime with potty time. <laughs> <laughs> and they saved so much time that now they have an entire day to just waste. Days of time. Days. days. Well, I think it's like a day and a half. I think they waste a day and a half here. Yeah. Because all of this training that he does is one day and then the sword is a half a day. It's insinuated that it's a day. I think if it's a day, truly one day. Yeah. Sokka is a very quick study. He learns so fast. Oh, it's definitely a day. And when I get to that part, I'll, I'll point it out even more. Okay. But this is cool. definitely like canonically, according to Pandao, one day. Plus, it's so hot today. Toph chimes in, thinking this is the setup for a classic Sokka style joke. Aang perks up and asks, how hot is it? I don't know. Real hot? Toph replies while picking her nose. <laughs> Katara recognizes the setup and jumps in, but the joke falls flat when she compares Momo's shedding to Appa's. But let's just say the joke doesn't really take off. Oh, God. (laughs) Or Katara couldn't really land that joke. (laughs) Nice. This is a good one. This is a good one. I like this one. A lot of great puns. Oh, one. There was a hidden pun a little while ago. What? Oh, I I, I missed it, didn't I? You may have subconsciously put the pun in. This is a problem I have. Yeah, it's been mentioned many times through Ang Mail that like, oh, Greg, by the way, you said a pun didn't do your and then voice. And I was like, damn it. It's, I've gone too far into the Matrix now into the pun tricks it's, it, too into it. Anyway, the sorry. Pun tricks. The pun it. tricks. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, the the pun that I caught was a uh, Sokka catches the sword master a bit off, off guard. guard. Oh. <laughs> I'm dying on the inside that I missed that one. Yeah. So we're uh, at like, what, five puns so far this episode? Minimum. That must be a record. I think we're at six. That was just two it, right it there. It could be six. Plus off guard, plus the three up front. Oh, wow. Oh, man. this my, No wonder my head hurts right now. There's so many puns. 
That's what you get for trying to get ahead. That's number seven. You're welcome. All right, let's move on. Oh, my God. Meanwhile, let's get a little more serious now. <clears throat> Tara just says the joke. The joke doesn't go over well. A for effort. A for effort. Aang notes that the jokes must not run in the family. Oh, everyone's a critic, Katara says, as Appa grunts in response. <laughs> Meanwhile, Iroh is hanging upside down and doing crunches, panting in effort. The bottom of his feet are covered in dirt. It is clear that he is not only shedding his fat, but that he is also shedding his taste for a life of luxury. Determined, he continues his exercise routine without losing any momentum. Back at Piando Palace, that's what I like calling it now because of the alliteration, Piandao Palace. I like it. Piandao explains that a warrior must have a variety of hobbies that keep the mind sharp and fluid. He hands Sokka a calligraphy brush and instructs him to write his name. Sokka gives the brush a look and asks how writing his name will make him a better swordsman. When you write your name, you stamp the paper with your identity. You must learn to use your sword to stamp your identity on the battlefield. Remember, you cannot take back a stroke of the brush or a stroke of the sword. Ooh. Deep. Yeah, real deep. Sokka's hand trembles with the new realization, and Piandao notes that Sokka has gotten some ink on his face. Hearing this observation, Sokka puts two and two together. So this is about putting my identity on the page, right? The young warrior asks his master, who nods. Sokka puts a big smile on his face and runs the ink-soaked brush all over his face and then slams his ink-covered face on the parchment in front of him. There's a lot of face in a sentence. I understand that. I realize that. You're all welcome. <laughs> Pleased with his markings, he displays his stamp to Piandao with a big smile. Piandao closes his eyes in kind of that, like, this guy. Like, this guy? Kind of that moment. Uh -huh. like, he's like, oh, man. Oh, man. I really do appreciate how consistent... Sokka is in this episode. Yeah. He's quirky. He's silly. He's goofy. And we're seeing that even in a more serious, almost educational setting. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, like a second head and yeah. painting yeah. his face with ink and doing all these like kooky off the wall things. I appreciate it. Yeah. He's not conforming to the environment. He's yes. always just being himself. And that's a very, very, I think, notable quality for Sokka. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it like time and time again, but we always, I think, kind of viewed it as like a Nickelodeon trope, for lack of a better term, where it's just like, oh, he's the comic relief. Like he's got to be wacky and off the wall. But like, that's just who he is. And he's not going to change. Actually who he is. Yeah. And yeah. He's, he's, it's not a gimmick or anything at this point. It's how his brain functions, which is really yes. cool. Which is why Soka was Soka. such a disappointment oh. and so offensive. Offensive to me because you're basically stripping Sokka of his identity yeah. in that movie. As with every other character that was in that movie. Yes. yes. <laughs> the movie that shall not be named. I have a reference. Yeah. I have a reference to that movie that I will share in a little bit. Oh, is it weird that I'm not looking forward to that reference? Oh, you'll like this one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Later that day, Sokka and Fat begin sparring, which doesn't work out so well for the young warrior as Fat is able to easily disarm Sokka and chase him around the yard as Piandao meditates, <laughs> sheath sword in hand in the background. It's so funny because uh, Fat just knocks the sword out of Sokka's hand, and Sokka like, immediately just like runs. He doesn't do anything, just runs. Yes. So good. <laughs> After this lesson, the master leads his blindfolded pupil to a beautiful waterfall vista. He removes Sokka's blindfold and tells him that in battle, one only has an instant to take everything in. 
He then turns his people around and instructs Sokka to paint what he just saw. And no peeking. Piandao closes his eyes and waits for Sokka to paint the landscape. Which is, if anyone is wondering, the waterfall in this scene is from, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Golfas? Golfas? It's a famous waterfall in Iceland. Yeah, it is near impossible to pronounce Icelandic words unless you've actually studied Icelandic. So sorry to anyone who knows how to pronounce that word. Yeah, but this is a callback to the preparations that the team made going into book three and how the trip to Iceland was such a huge part of set design and the development of the Fire Nation. They took inspiration from many sites around Iceland, and this is just one of them. Hmm. And this is a great example. Yes, indeed. I'm finished, Sokka exclaims, and Piandao opens his eyes to find that Sokka added a rainbow to the painting. Is that okay? Sokka asks with puppy dog eyes. Piandao sighs and shakes his head. (laughs) It's also like the second grade drawing. (laughs) It's really funny. It's really good. It's fairly accurate. I think he added an extra mountaintop in the background as well, but he's got birds Mm -hmm. and like a rainbow and the birds are like the weird V shape that you do with like the period in the middle or the, the circle in the middle. It's so weird. You know, that's another consistent quality of Sokka, his terrible art skills, but his endless enthusiasm to do art. Yeah. Sokka goes back to sparring with Fat, and this time he is able to hold his own. After a few blows are exchanged, Piandao calls out to Sokka, which distracts him just enough for the butler to get the upper hand and knock the water tribe warrior on his face. Concentrate on what you're doing, Piandao instructs his pupil, who puts his head down, but gives a thumbs up. Rock gardening teaches the warrior to manipulate his surroundings and use them to his advantage, Piandao tells Sokka as the two enter an empty area with stone tiles neatly arranged on the ground. Sokka takes a moment to think about how to use the stones outside of the tiled area to his advantage, and then it hits him. He rolls a large stone across the tiles and then finds a blanket of moss and drapes it over the stone. Fat joins the group to find his perfect patio covered in rubble. Sokka is laying down comfortably on his chaise lounge now, asking for a cold beverage. The butler gasps and Piandao notes that he would like a slice of lemon with his own cold beverage. I like to think that Piandao saw all the potential in Sokka after that first meeting between them. I think this scene, however, is when he has fully moved on to the Sokka bandwagon. Because if you notice, he doesn't make any comment. He's just like, let the kid do whatever he wants. We're we're getting him to where he needs to go and we're (laughs) going to support him the whole way. So the poor butler, he's like, he is shaken to find his rock garden in disarray like that. But um, I appreciate how supportive Fandau is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I always kind of like to think, I don't think we know, I don't know too much about fat at this point, uh, but I'd like to think that he had to really work and earn the ability to be Piandao's butler because mm-hmm. Piandao obviously trained him in the way of the sword. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And the fact that like Sokka's in here drawing rainbows on landscapes <laughs> that don't exist and making like chairs out of rocks. Like it's got to be a little bit of an insult to the poor guy. Mm-hmm. I think so too, because it's not very traditional. It's not right. the way that he was probably trained and educated. But as we will come to find out, Piandao is not only an exceptional sword master, but an exceptional person in the yes. Avatar world. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. The butler and the student face off one more time. And this time, Sokka is able to disarm Fat and then bows in respect to his master, who sips his tea, which, by the way, if you weren't paying attention, has a lemon like on the side of on the it's brim. like a yeah it's like a little lemon slice yeah it's so funny 
hanging off of the the edge of the glass. I didn't notice before, but after he mentions that he wants lemon in his cold drink, all I could see are lemon slices on his drinks from here on out. Every single drink yeah. he drinks now, it just has a lemon slice, which is kind of funny. But also so is interesting because what does a lemon slice look like to you? <gasps> a white lotus tile. Oh, it does look like a white lotus tile. Oh, so wow. It's been staring us in the face this entire time. <gasps> Anyways, back at Iroh's cell, we see the former general performing push-ups on his knuckles and clapping at the apex of each push-up. The sound of the clapping catches the attention of Warden Poon, who checks in on Iroh. When the warden peeks in, he sees Iroh sitting against the wall of his cell and deliriously clapping his hands as if he's trying to kill a fly that does not exist. Crazy old man, the warden says out loud and walks away. Iroh shoots a look at the warden when the coast is clear. Oh, so good. It was a tense moment for a second. But yeah. then when you see Iroh clapping on the ground, you're like, oh no, Iroh's got this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Back at Camp Avatar, the gang, minus Sokka, <laughs> still try to figure out their next move, but can't quite seem to do so. You noodle brains don't know what you're doing. I miss Sokka, Toph says as she lays down next to the map that they've all been going over. Ooh, I got one, Katara says excitedly. If you miss him so much, why don't you marry him? Katara grins at the delivery of her joke, but let's just say this one flies over the group's head, which is kind of a pun because they got the fly that came in and Aang does the airburst <laughs> to blow it away. So you're welcome. It's a bit of a reach, but we'll take it. You know what? I'm at eight right now, so mm-hmm. I'm going for 10. I'm going for 10 we're, we're on this episode. world records here. We're doing yep. it. Also, that, that last line, I feel like that may have been not the inception of the ship, but the strengthening of yes. the ship. I would say between so. Between and Sokka. Yeah, because we saw in the Serpent's Pass, mm-hmm. which we covered with, along with the drill. If you're remembering that we had combined those two episodes as the Secret of the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. That was the really the introduction of the ship of Toph and Sokka. And there have been little things that I think we didn't really mention them, but the little things here and there peppered throughout. But this is a big moment right here, this episode yep. for shippers of Toph and Sokka, which is still kind of weird to me because how old is Toph right now? Uh, they're like maybe four years apart or something. Yeah, but when you're 13 or 14 and you're four years apart, it's like a little different than when you're 20 and 24 and you're four years yeah, apart. Yeah, crushes at that age are one thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They they never like insinuate more than a crush at yeah. this point, other than Toph, you know, having a crush on Sokka. So it, yeah, it's like a very innocent, let's say like middle school crush mm-hmm. at this point. Exactly. Away from all the crushing though. Oh, hold on, hold on. Here's number nine. Here's number nine. Away from Toph's crush. No, I can't get it. I can't get it. <laughs> okay. I'll get there. Back at Piando's castle, the sword master tells his pupil that he had a good first day of training. This is how we know it's been a day. This is the end of the oh, first day. He says, great, good day of training, first day of training. So all of this that he's been doing is one day. Wow. Which is bonkers. That's impressive. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, though, yeah. it makes sense because Sokka actually has a lot of raw talent and a lot of skills that he's already learned from being a Southern Water Tribe warrior. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that this is just more of like a, a process of focusing his abilities and gelling them together in yeah. a direction that will make him a stronger fighter and swordsman. Yeah. And not to mention everything he learned from the warriors of Kyoshi as well. Yes, that too. It's like, yeah, absolutely. It's like cooking separate dishes for a buffet. And this is the process of putting all those dishes on one long table. Yeah, pretty much. 
Sokka is surprised to hear this praise because he thought he messed each lesson up. Piendo explains that, yeah, Sokka did mess each lesson up, but he did so in his own special way. And this makes him ready for a real sword. Dun, da, da, da. Bum, bum, bum. Are you giving me one of yours? Sokka asks excitedly. But Piendo refuses this request and explains that a sword must be an extension of oneself. And that is why he will make his own sword tomorrow. And this makes Sokka very happy. Day turns to night as Piandao brings Sokka to his own workshop to choose the metal he wishes to use for his own sword. Sokka tests the metal. There's number eight officially. The M-E-T-T-L-E is in uh-huh. like the... You, Testing yeah, you, your metal. You all, you all get it. You all get it. Uh, okay. for, for each of the metal ores in front of him, but is not satisfied with any of them. He then asks if it would be possible to leave and bring back his own special material for his sword. Piandao smiles and tells Sokka that he wouldn't have it any other way. Again, Piandao just indulging Sokka. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost as if if Sokka just chose one of those oars, it would be a, dis- a disappointment at that point. Mm-hmm. Could have been. Yeah. Sokka makes his way back to Camp Avatar. And before he is visible, Toph wakes up from a sound sleep and excitedly announces the return of their friend. That's so cute. It really is. It's Sokka! And Sokka's here! It's like she's dead asleep. Sokka's here! It's like amazing. <laughs> just because of the vibrations yeah. that she feels. Yeah. And that's so cute. She knows his steps. I was just going to say that. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> the group hugs Sokka at the same time, and Katara tells her brother how much they all missed him. Aang demands that Sokka say something funny. <laughs> funny how? He asks. And Aang, Aang and Katara laugh at the question, and Toph tries to play it cool and acts like she didn't care that he was gone for a while. But as soon as she turns her back, she blushes because she's got a crush on Sokka. We already went Sokka over this. Sokka and Toph sitting in yeah. a tree. Not bending. Not bending, though, because Sokka can't do that. But, you know, no, no. <laughs> I God, I, I love that part where he's like, Sokka, say something funny. And he's like, funny how? And they all go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> which just goes to show how much funnier he actually is than his sister. Yes, it's the delivery. It really is. Yep. There's something about comedians and people who are considered funny. It's the way that they deliver phrases, the way that they use their tone. Yeah. It's You can see it in this. This is the perfect illustration of that concept. Absolutely. Sokka asks his friends for help in getting the fallen meteorite to Piandao's castle. And once again, we are back with Iroh, who is meditating in the middle of his cell. He suddenly opens his eyes and gets himself into a handstand. Sweating, the Dragon of the West starts to do vertical push-ups grunting with each set. Impressive. It's super impressive. Yeah. If anyone's looking for a workout routine, I mean... This episode. Don't (laughs) hurt yourself, please. Yes. Start with like, I don't know, horizontal normal push-ups and then see (laughs) where you go from there. Team Avatar helps bring the meteorite to Piandao's door and Sokka performs his special flailing knock. That's what I'm calling it. The flailing knock. Because he's like... It's so good. I love it. Great technique. Piandao opens the door and sees the entire group and asks who they are. Sokka bends, number nine, the truth a bit and tells his master (laughs) that these are his friends, just normal, good Fire Nation folk. And like Piandao kind of looks around. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. Like he has that look on his face. Sure. I do want to make another little, little joke about the bending of the truth and saying, see, Sokka is a bender. After all, he bends the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The group bows to Piandao, who bows back out of respect. Sokka then asks if it is possible to make a sword out of a meteorite, and his master tells him that they will make a sword that is unlike any 
other in this world. And they do just that. So exciting. There is a montage of them making the sword. And Mike and Brian usually hate montages, but they felt that this one came out really well. So they decided to stick with it. Yeah. So yeah, they spend the night, a full night, forging the sword, being made in a traditional Chinese fashion of melting, pouring it into a mold, shaping and quenching. And Sokka's sword is finally complete. Okay. Yes. Here is where I have some very exciting news. Okay. It turns out that there is a particular YouTube channel called Man at Arms. Ooh. He made Sokka's meteor sword. How? Out of meteor material. That can't be. Oh, it is. To make. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's possible. It is not inexpensive. It is quite expensive, actually. I would imagine. It is the only real life replica that I am aware of right now. It was made from a real meteorite and was created by Tony Swatton of Man at Arms on his YouTube channel. It ended up coming out with 384 layers of forged metal because of the folding process of it. Now, I'm going to send this to you, Greg. Yes. For anyone interested, please do a quick Google for Man at Arms Sokka's Sword and take a look. It's only six minutes. It's a really fun watch. I can't wait to watch this. I'm so excited. I feel like we can include it in the show notes, too. Yeah, let's include it in the show notes. So if you uh, head over to thegeekgeneration.com, find this episode, click on it, and you can find the link. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Here's what I want you to do, Greg. Mm -hmm. Skip ahead to 548 for me. Oh, it's going to be the last airbender, isn't it? You're going to like Rick roll me with the last airbender. Space sword! (laughs) And he's just chopping watermelons. I've seen videos from this channel before. And at the end of the build, they do a test. So they slice through all these different things with different materials. It looks so cool, though. It does. It's not black, though, but it looks so cool. I love that he has. Hold on. He also has the wolf headpiece that Avatar Kurik has. Yes, yes. So that's not the person who created the sword. I think it's someone from the team, but they did dress up as Sokka to do the sword test. Oh, that's right. He did have that. I forgot about that. Well, I can't wait to watch that episode where he wears that. Okay. Have you gotten to it yet? I I just watched it. He said space sword. No, no, no. Keep going. Is that 548? Watch, Watch the rest of the test. Watermelon. Chopped. Cactus. Not quenching anyone's thirst. Chopped. (laughs) Water. No water bending for Katara. (laughs) Water evaporated, but chopped first. Energy drinks gone. The last airbender. You've (laughs) met your match. So good. (laughs) Chopped. They slice through a box of the last airbender movie. (laughs) Yeah. The the DVD. (laughs) It's so good. So good. Oh, boy. The message there is quite loud and clear. Mm -hmm. And I agree with it. Me, too. Thank you for indulging me. For anyone interested, please check out that video on Man at Arms. Yes, I can't wait to watch that thing in its entirety. Before we move on to the next scene in the episode, I do want to take a second and just pay attention to the fact that they are making a sword out of a meteorite. Mm. Come to find out, swords and other tools have been forged by meteorite iron and have a long history both in the real world and in fiction. It is believed that meteorite iron was the first iron ore used by humans before the development of mining to retrieve terrestrial iron. King Tut or King Tutankhamun was entombed with a meteorite iron dagger on his breast and fragments from the Cape York meteorite were used by the Greenland Inuit people to fashion Mm. knife blades and harpoon heads. In more contemporary times, Japanese master swordsmith Yoshindo Yoshiwara made a katana called Tentetsuto 
or Sword of Heaven, the blade of which was forged from a fragment of the massive Gibeon iron meteorite that landed in Namibia in prehistoric times. Yeah, that's really cool. So super cool examples. I never knew. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew that there were weapons and items that were made out of meteors. But then again, when you think about it, it is a metal. It just comes from space. So I feel like it's pretty natural for humans to be like, let's make something out of this. Space rock. Let's make a weapon out of it. (laughs) Yes. Commentary. There you go. Sword of space rock. The morning after they finished forging this weapon, Piandao tells the group why he chose to train Sokka. He explains that even though his people seemed unsure of himself, Piandao saw something right away. While it definitely wasn't Sokka's skills that impressed the sword master, Piandao explains that it was something beyond that. The master unsheathed Sokka's sword to reveal an all-black blade and explains that it is creativity, versatility, and intelligence that define a great swordsman. And these traits also define Sokka. Piandao tells Sokka that while he has doubts of his worthiness, he believes that Sokka is more worthy than any man he has ever trained before. Basically, the best compliment Sokka's ever gotten in his life. Yes. However, Sokka's been lying to him quite cleverly, Sokka thinks, this whole time. (laughs) And he he feels very bad about it. He feels so bad. He lowers his head in shame and confesses that he is not worthy and that he had lied to Piandao from day one. Sokka comes clean about being from the Southern Water Tribe and apologizes, and the gang cannot believe Sokka's confession when he's gotten this far. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry too, Piandao says, as he quickly turns around and swings his sword at Sokka. The gang ready themselves for a fight, but Sokka tells them to stand down, as this is his fight. Back with Iroh, Warden Poon shames his prisoner. He used to be a general of legend, and now he is nothing more than a crazy old traitor rotting away in a prison. Poon drops the meal just like slightly in reach. It's like one of the things like, all right, you you can eat, but like you're going to kind of work for it. And Iroh grabs a roll and starts gnawing on it. When the warden leaves the cell, Iroh unties his belt and a thick folded sheet falls to the ground where his belly once was. What was once a fat, comfortable old man now stands a shirtless, ripped General Iroh, dragon (laughs) of the West. Iroh leaps and starts to do one-handed chin-ups from the top of his cell while eating his roll. Freaking impressive. Yes, absolutely. This may be one of the most exciting reveals in the show so far. Yeah. And what I really like about it is pun number 10 is that it okay. wasn't it wasn't dragging on. <laughs> You're terrible. <laughs> That's the wow. record right there. You're all welcome. 10 puns an episode. Clock it. <laughs> Ship it. That's our new record. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, back at the duel, Sokka and Piandao square off in the courtyard. While Piandao is technically the better swordsman, Sokka is still younger and uses his superior agility to gain an advantage. Piandao notes this and praises his pupil. Sokka then uses the terrain to his advantage and gains the high ground, which gains <laughs> number 11, not kind of, oh, 10 and a half, high praise because he's high on the ground from his master. Sokka leads Piandao. It's, it's like it's halvesies. Sokka it's leads Piandao into a bamboo grove and uses his environment to distract his opponent. The two swordsmen finally end up back in the courtyard and Sokka uses some dirt to blind his master and almost gets away with a sneak attack. But the snap of a lone twig gives away his position. That twig. Always. That twig. A tree branch. A teeny little twig from yep. a tree in the middle of a patio a stone patio with not a tree in sight. Mm-hmm. 
Go figure. You want to know my, my fan theory on that one? What? It was put there by the butler. <laughs> like off frame. He's off like frame, yep. flinging it onto. Yep. No, this <laughs> into is what like Sokka's path. This is what happened. They're having this huge, like intense battle and it's going back and forth, back and forth. And it just like cuts back to fat who just like whistles inconspicuously with a little mm-hmm. twig and just places it. Or like whistle flicks back. it. Right in place. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. He's way good of a butler for that to just be there, by the way. So my headcanon is it was done by the butler. Anyway, it's always the butler doing these things. Mm -hmm. Damn butlers. Anyways, Pandao takes Sokka down, but he swings his sword away from the young warrior and praises the excellent work. Pandao then calls out fat for his sheath and is able to sheath his sword without even touching the sleeve. It's super impressive. Like, it's so cool. Super cool move. Yeah, yeah. Piando then admits that he knew about Sokka all along and that he is too old to be fighting the Avatar. Because his friends were about to leap into help yeah, him. They, yeah, like, like Aang was getting ready to go full Avatar and he's like, eh, it's fine. I know. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a revelation for anyone. Piando admits that he's been around for quite some time and he kind of implies that he knows a water tribe name when he hears it. Makes sense because he traveled the world after he left the military and studied with different bending groups. Yep. yep. He then offers some useful advice, which is the joke of the episode. Yes. For a Sokka-centric episode, he does not have the funniest joke. This one goes out to Piandao, who says, you might want to think of a better Fire Nation cover name. Try Lee. There's a million Lees. (laughs) We've already met Zuko, aka Lee. Yeah. And Lee from the Lee farm, Lee family farm. I I think he's onto something. I think Lee's a a good name to go with. Oh, absolutely. When Katara asks why would Piandao train someone from the Water Tribe, the Swordmaster tells the group that the way of the sword does not belong to any one nation. It belongs to the world. He then tells Sokka that while he must continue his training on his own, he knows that if the young warrior stays on his path, that one day he will become an even greater master than himself. The two bow in respect for one another and part ways. Right as Team Avatar exits the castle, Fat calls out to the group to wait. He tells them that Piandao wanted them to have a little memento to remember him by. He presents a small bag to the group and leaves. The bag contains a single pie show tile, that of the White Lotus. Ooh. Mm-hmm. While the group does not know what this means at the time, they surely will before the day of the Black Sun. That closes the door, the palace, and reveals the White Lotus design surrounding the Fire Nation emblem on the palace door. Could it be? foreshadowing bum 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 it's so cool and it's like one of those moments where you realize that you don't actually see the full door until uh-huh. then i was yes. like I, I was like i'm sure we saw this and no we don't we don't that's the first big reveal <laughs> Sokka gives toff a small piece of the meteorite and she bends it into various shapes including the nickelodeon logo splat Surprise. Surprise. It's a Nickelodeon show still, if he forgot. <laughs> the episode ends as Katara explains that there's no such thing as space Earth. If it's from space, then it's not really Earth. Must you ruin everything? Sokka asks. I can't believe I missed you, his sister jokes. The end. Oh, such a wholesome episode. I love it. It was so good. Now... To get to the obvious question that I think everyone can come to the same conclusion to, who's your MVP for the episode? Oh, it's got to be Sokka. Yeah. It's meant absolutely. to be Sokka. It's, it's Sokka. I think the runner-up is Dao, of course, but oh, yeah. I want to give it to one of our main cast because A, I don't think we've given Sokka MVP very much recently. And 
B, he really deserves it with this episode. He's carving out his place in this world of bending and doing so with so much integrity and honor and self-worth. You know, the fact that he goes through the entire training day, two days, really, with yeah. P and Dao, and then gets to the end is being presented his sword, which he slaved and sweated over to only then turn around and go, I can't accept this. It would be dishonorable. I've been lying to you. That says so much about his character. It really is meant to be, I think, Sokka's episode. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Special shout out to Fat for his loyalty. For <laughs> yes. not just quitting his job immediately at this site because yep. it could have been really bad. Uh, but yeah, it's absolutely Sokka. What is your moral of the episode? There's quite a few in here. There is quite a few. I'm trying to land on the one that I want to go with after having our discussion about the episode. Yeah. I think the one that is maybe the loudest is be true to yourself. Yeah. And carve your way through life because regardless of who you are, where you come from, being authentically you and true to yourself is always the right move. It's always your best bet in a world where there's so much competition and noise and imposter syndrome and all of that. The happiest you can be is when you're yourself. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I think that's a very strong moral that they mentioned several times. Mm-hmm. I think another one would be to stick with your goals. Don't let anything kind of get in your way. Mm-hmm. We see this with Sokka. We also see it with Iroh. Yes. Where Iroh's getting out of that cell. It's happening. But it's going to be when he's ready and on his terms. He's taking this imprisonment as an opportunity to kind of get back in fighting shape because, you know, he's high up in the White Lotus order. He has to help the mm-hmm. Avatar. Nothing's going to stop him from that. Sokka is going to train under this master. Nothing's going to stop him from that. And he's going to yep. put his all into it and he's going to do it his way. Absolutely. Hard work pays off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, maybe is not implied in the episode at all, but stretch before you work out. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Eat your veggies, get your vitamins, yep. stretch before you work out. Eat your yep. floor roll. <laughs> for yes, sure. Eat your, your dirty floor roll. Oh, God. Eat, the, uh, eat the, the forbidden rice that's not forbidden because of like that's what it's called because it, it was rolling around in the dirt and it's black because of that now. It's probably pretty that's gross now. Yep. Yeah. 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 Eat all that up. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Eat all that up and maybe you can get jacked like I wrote. You can't. Don't do that. <laughs> One final fun fact before we go, since you listened to the commentary and Sifu Kisu was such a huge part of this episode yes. being the inspiration behind Master P and Dao. I learned that Sokka's sword and sheath, as well as P and Dao's sword and sheath, were designed based upon real swords owned by Sifu Kisu. Yes. Uh, something I forgot to bring up in the moment as well. In the beginning, when Team Avatar are kind of laying down in that like barren area and looking at the stars, yeah, there's a, an original idea that never quite landed uh, with the Fire Nation, and it's that a lot of the Fire Nation is just so stripped down because it's been mined for materials <gasps> with the oh, war effort. Oh, yes, because they're so focused on industry. Exactly, exactly. So was, the Fire Nation was originally supposed to be a lot more industrious than it is now presented to be. Yep. And we kind of saw that in The Painted Lady a little bit, and we saw that those repercussions, but they wanted to really expand upon it more. And I think that if they had done, the transition from Avatar to Korra would have been a little less jarring. Actually, that is a great point. And I think it's one of the problems that my brain had in yeah. shifting gears into the world of Korra. Yeah, for sure. Me too. The last thing I want to bring up is 
the big fight between Sokka and Pandao was choreographed in the Nickelodeon lot at the Nickelodeon gym. And Serena Williams actually walked <gasps> in while they were doing that. It was like the end. And Brian was saying he was so out of breath. And she was like, oh, you're, this is a great way for you two to keep in shape. And apparently, I don't remember this, but apparently Serena or yeah, Serena Williams shows up in an episode. So, <gasps> oh my God, that's so fun. When that happens, I'll point that out for sure. Awesome. Yes. Yes. What a cool, fun fact. What a cool episode. This was so fun to cover. Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously, I think everyone knows this is probably one of my favorite episodes. Is it Cave of Two Lovers up there? Maybe a couple notches below, but it was a really good episode. And I'm glad we got to watch it and cover it in such detail. And that is all the material that we have for this episode. Remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and you've written to us at avatarthepodcast.gmail.com or you left a five-star review or you've gone to youtube.com slash avatarthepodcast or you've gone to patreon.com slash avatarthepodcast and you're looking to hang out and spend some more time with all of the content we make, you can join me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg Monday and Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are starting up Biomutant on Monday. So that will be, we'll be two episodes in by the time you hear that. So I'm very excited about to play that. It looks really cool. And I think you get to make your own little critter. So I'm kind of excited about that too. Uh, But yeah, we've had many people join us on our live streams and just next week is Avatar. So don't miss that over at twitch.tv slash the geek generation where we'll be talking about, you'll have to wait and find out. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. And I'm Acorn Bandit. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit and also joysons.com, which has a page with all my links. So if you want to find out more about all the stuff that I do, head over to joysons.com. That's J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com slash pages slash acorn. Coming up next time. The Breakfast Club of Ember Island. And the Combustion Man Cometh. All this and more next time on Avatar Avatar, the the Podcast. Podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 